Welcome to Science Talk, the weekly podcast of Scientific American, posted on June 17, 2009. I'm Steve Mursky. This week we'll go for a hike in Panama, plus we'll test your knowledge about some recent science in the news. Back in March, I and a few other speakers on our latest Scientific American cruise got to take a walking tour of the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute, which is on Barrow, Colorado Island, in the middle of the 85-square-mile Gatun Lake, which was created when they built the Panama Canal. You'll mostly hear me talking to Beth King, the Institute's science interpreter. You'll also hear the voice of staff scientist Haralaus Lesios and some questions from a few of the other folks on the tour. If we sound out of breath at any point, it's because I edited out the portions where we just finished climbing many hundreds of steps and then later steep trails. So here we go on a tour of the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute, or STRI, or STRI, with Beth King. So I think our plan is just to head into the forest, and we're going to go on one of the main research highways that goes through this outdoor laboratory and ends up at the area that's this permanent study site. When you say highway, what do you actually mean? I, I say that because um, there's this trail system all around the island, but there's some trails that are used much more so by others because they're going out to work and coming back. All right, so we're entering the highway, and it's about three feet across. <laughs> but it is paved for now, anyway. And it's pretty dense. A lot of uh, ground litter. Yeah, so this is the end of the dry season. That's why you see so much ground litter because all of the, the winds are strong, the trade winds are blowing down from the north, and that's pushed the intertropical convergence zone away from Panama, which means it's not raining very much. And um, a lot of trees that produce seeds are producing them now so they can be dispersed by the wind, and the weather's beautiful. It's pretty hot and steamy, although it's cooler here under the canopy than out in the direct sun. So we're coming down to a bridge over one of the streams. Oh, there goes a lizard. It's a little anolid lizard. So it's actually, we're, we're standing on a bridge and it's actually a little bit unusual to see this much water in the stream at this time of year because there's no source of water on Barrow, Colorado. So all of the water that you see is from runoff. And this, um, I was saying this is the end of the dry season. So there are two main seasons in Panama, the rainy season from April to December and the dry season from December through April when sometimes it doesn't rain at all, but this year it seems to be a rainy dry season. It rains about four meters per year on the Cologne side of the isthmus, uh, about 1.5 meters per year on the Panama City side, and here in the middle, about um, 2.6 meters per year. So as I said, when we were coming in on the boat, there's sort of two different kinds of groups of people who work on BCI, people who stay for a long time to do their theses or something, and people who might come for a course. So we have two different kinds of houses that you'll see. There are 64 beds total, usually about 45 or so are full on any given night. And these are sort of more dormitory style um, rooms for people who are staying for a short time. And then as we walk up the hill, we'll see some of the houses for people who want to stay longer. Some of the houses have little kitchens and other amenities. Those dorm rooms are not air-conditioned? No. Yowza. <laughs> so this was the first laboratory building. Um, it was built in parts. It was initially built in 1923. 
but at that time, it was just the upstairs, and there are pictures of people sleeping and doing their lab work upstairs, and this downstairs was closed off a few years later after that, and it became, for a long time, it was the dining hall and the dormitory and the laboratory, and um, this is a rite of passage. There are about 194 steps that come from the lake up to this laboratory. And so if you talk to the old-timers from Vera, Colorado, they tell you about arriving at the island and marching up the steps to the laboratory building. Um, Stan Rand, who was a herpetologist here for many years, used to say that this was the site of the um, longest ongoing cocktail conversation about Mm -hmm. tropical biology. (laughs) I have a really basic question. So is this technically a rainforest? Uh, technically, this is a seasonally dry, humid, tropical forest. So, lowland forest. So, some people will s- sticklers will probably say that rainforest does not apply because it's not it doesn't rain enough year round. Here, you can see Soberania National Park, um, which is it goes along the whole um, eastern shore of the canal. It's about 18,000 hectares. And up at the top of this, uh, right along the ridge, is where the Transispian Highway goes from Panama City to Cologne. And so that's the sort of the border of that protected area. And um, a lot of people are making the argument that the trees are essential for the canal operations because if it's deforested, there'll be erosion into the canal. And, but part, part of our experiment to look at these different um, reforestation with native species and reforestation with teak and natural forest is to see if, to put some numbers on, on those assumptions. In addition to the erosion, don't you need the the uh, natural ecosystem to mm-hmm. act yeah, as the watershed, to, to hold all that fresh water that you right. need to, to so keep people, pumping in and out of the People think that the trees also affect the rate of flow of water, and so they act as a sp- the roots act as a sponge during these really heavy rains so that the um, canal won't be damaged by you know huge um, runoff from the area. Um, the, because the canal infrastructure, I guess, is, could be threatened if there's too much rain that comes off the area too fast. And then in times of drought, which are infrequent but do occur, then one assumption is that the sponge continues to hold the water and there will be continued runoff into the canal during periods of drought, whereas grasslands and other open areas tend to lose all of their moisture very quickly. But those those are actually... Those, assumptions actually haven't been carefully tested. So this experiment that we're doing is is looking at those, is putting numbers on those assumptions. Uh, no, this one is a microwave tower because we have a T1 connection and so we have high-speed internet on the island um, via microwave and then that one is a cell phone tower. And I like to tell people that when I first I first came here in 1992, there were two phone lines on the island, and one of the residents wrote a poem that said, the line to heaven is always occupied, because his girlfriend was living on the island, and he could never get a call through. Mm-hmm. And now, people call me on my cell phone in my office, in the, in, while we're walking on the trail. <laughs> right. So, yeah, there's also a webcam up there somewhere. Hi. I don't know if it's working, but... <laughs> 
And so, so this was the original laboratory area. And when I first came in 1992, that area right there was a big wooden lab, and that's where we did all of our work. Um, but then the new labs that you saw down below were built in about 1996, and so a lot's changed here in the last. Well, the major so. change is the introduction of air conditioning. With, um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the intention is not so much the temperature, it's the humidity. I mean, before that, anything you owned here would be grow overgrown by fungus, your shoes, your books, everything. So now they can do things that uh, before they, they just couldn't keep certain instruments here. And, and so the physiologists came in and... <laughs> And this is the weather station, which also is one of um, the sites of long-term weather data from the tropics, I guess, probably goes back to the 20s. So, you collecting rainfall data there, I guess? Yeah, this collects rainfall, um, humidity, mm. wind speed, temperature in the shade, temperature in the sun. Are those nests for birds? Or those oh, yeah, so those are the oropendula nests. Yep. Um, they're black with kind of yellow rumps. We heard one calling down there. It has a very melodious kind of call, oropendula. Yeah, so to avoid the leafcutter ant damage, there are little moats around all of the greenhouses. And that little foamy thing in the corner of the moat is the nest of a tungara frog. So the... Um, as the female extrudes her egg, she beats this um, gel into a foam, and her eggs are in the foam, and that's supposed to detract predators. But it's fun to look in those moats, because they're sometimes frogs and other things there. And you can hear the cicadas, too, in the background. Mm -hmm. This is not a nature sound, right? That's yeah. That's yeah. a nature sound. Sounds like it. And then in the dry season, it can get very intense, and you can be working out in the field and just feel like yeah. Oh, I have to hold my ears. That is not the whine of some uh, piece of machinery, though. Those are the cicadas. Yep, those are cicadas. Far more uh, staircases than I expected in the uh, forest. Well, we've actually, close to the lab, we've tried some different experiments to see what works best for visitors in terms of trail sure. cover. But you'll see soon that the standard on the island are cement blocks that are anchored with iron rebar uh -huh. because they don't get slippery um, and they're, they don't erode in the rainy season. Right, because these are a little bit slippery even now. Yeah, these wooden logs. And in the rainy season, they'd slippery. be pretty treacherous. Exactly. So most people like the cement blocks, except for a couple of really tall people. Uh-huh. <laughs> feel like the, um, what's that called? The distance between blocks isn't... The rise. The rise, right. The rise isn't for them. High enough. And this is the water treatment facility. So usually we have really great clean water on the island, but lately the canal is doing this expansion and one of the ways that they've decided to expand is to make the canal channel deeper. So they've been doing a lot of dredging and I think we're still working on figuring out a pumping system that can deal with a lot of Just extra lot of sedimentation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
or a filtering system. Mm -hmm. This is a kapak tree, famous kapak tree, but it's a baby. It's a baby. How old is it? Oh, it's probably 20 years old or something. It's still oh. a good, what, 120 feet high? Probably. Yeah. It's hard to tell the age of tropical trees because they don't have rings. Right. And so um, sometimes there are little trees that are only about two centimeters around, which have been sitting in the forest for years and just haven't had a chance to grow. And actually, we, some of those are marked with tags. Mm -hmm. So you can actually know that this two centimeter tree has been two um, centimeters in diameter for the last 25 years, whereas the, the same species, another sapling that's a couple yards away in the sun is a huge tree. And we know that they're from the same uh -huh. parent or the same So beginnings. there's your nurture versus nature, a little, little sunshine. Mm -hmm. And fungus. This is a big spider oh called Nephila. Oh, yeah. There are actually two spiders there. You can see the female mm -hmm. in the center. She's large. And the male above. And the male above. He's small. So the female's about three inches long, and the male's about half an inch long, something. It's a real winter time, right? In August, it's going to be much hotter, much more humid? Or is, does the temperature change doesn't change very much, oh, okay. but it's supposed to be dry right now. It's a little more humid than usual for this time of year. Okay. Uh -huh. And then in by August, it would be raining every day. Oh, okay. It just gets more, more okay. Yeah, and, so, and then by yeah. November, it rains all day, every day. <laughs> what are we collecting in this basket? Um, this is one of those long-term studies of um, tree behavior. So every week, there's a guy named Ozawaldo who goes around and collects all of the leaf litter that are in these m big mesh baskets, puts them in a bag, and takes them back to the lab and identifies every little piece. And he identifies the leaves, the flowers, the fruit. And then they can compare that to the temperature and rainfall data and see, for example, if it's a wet, dry season like this year, how that changes what's in the basket, which tells you things about how the trees are responding to long-term or short-term climate changes. And one of the interesting things that they found is that there are many more liana leaves than they used to, there used to be. And there's this idea that there seem to be more vines growing in tropical forests than there were. This was shown in the Amazon and it was shown again here on Barrow, Colorado Island. And no one's sure what that means. It could be that vines don't have to produce so much trunk, so they're responding more quickly to increased carbon in the atmosphere. Or it could be some successional thing like that vines are just doing better at this time in history then. This flower that looks like a shaving brush is the flower of um, a tree that's called the beer belly tree in Panama, the barigon, which means the big belly. And it's a white flower because it's pollinated by bats. They can find it at night. And that's the tree over there, this big tree. And you can see that it has a sort of rounded beer belly shape. Mm -hmm. When it grows out in a field or something, it gets much more of a, a beer belly look. And it also has stretch marks. We think there are about 1,200 howler monkeys on the island. And the way we know that is every once in a while, Katie Milton from Berkeley comes and she sends people out to the tips of the island 
at dawn. And at dawn, the monkeys tend to howl in their groups to kind of attract each other back, you know, as they come from their sleeping roosts. And um, so all of the volunteers record the number of monkey troops that they hear. And then each troop contains usually around 20 individuals. I guess they get about 60 troops times 20 is 1,200. Oh, and here, this is a sign of howler monkeys. It's a dung beetle. Uh-huh. Um, and the dung beetles come to the howler monkey dung and they form little balls of it. And then they bury it. Females bury the balls under the surface and they lay their eggs in the dung. There was actually a guy from Princeton who did his thesis about dung quality and how it affects beetle horn formation. Because apparently the um, larvae that have good dung as they grow uh, tend to be males that have these big horns, whereas um, larvae that have poor quality dung tend to be small males that have big eyes and no horns. So we have five species of monkeys on the island. The yeah. spider monkeys, howler monkeys, white-faced capuchins, night monkeys, and um, monotites, which are the Jeffrey's tamarind. There's um, one group that looks at leaf chemicals, and we tease them and we call them trail biologists because they mostly work along the trails and they measure the amount of leaf damage in leaves and also the age of leaves. So, um, so they can look at leaf defense. And you tease them because they never go off the trail? Yeah. <laughs> but once um, they, they had a birthday party for a leaf that was 12 years old that they'd found like every year for <laughs> the last 12 years. And so I always tell people that don't pick the leaves because it might be someone's 12-year-old <laughs> research, research project. Leaf. So one of the reasons why we built these canopy cranes is that you don't often get to see what's up in the top of the canopy where most of the action is. And here you can see a big branch of flowers that's fallen down. From the top of the canopy. From the top of the canopy. But actually, before I was saying that, that there seems to be a lot of extra growth of vines, and one of the problems is that most of these vines are living and flowering way up in the canopy, and so people haven't even been able to identify them before. So now we're making a concerted effort to study vines, but it's interesting to see when things fall down. Also, basically, all this whole slope that we're walking up now was probably mostly deforested during the canal construction. We found bottles of, uh, there was an old still, we find bottles of beer or something like that and um, other evidence that people were here. And we also find trees that are, that usually grow in open habitat, like farm fields. And so all of this jungle that you're seeing has all grown up in the last 80 years or 90 years. Well, I smell some howler monkeys. You smell that stable-like smell? What did you refer to it as? Stable-like smell? Oh, like stable-like a... smell. Mm -hmm. No, everything smells kind of fresh to me, but I'm from New York, so... Further down this trail is this uh, 50 by 50, I mean, 50 hectare plot that um, 
that's being um, monitored for the survivorship of every tree so they don't like visitors to get in there and mm. break things but that's we can come to the, the edge yeah we can come <laughs> to the, the edge, edge. <laughs> they're all coming there it's kind of cool just to see that they've actually tagged every uh, 250,000 trees or I think something like 400,000 trees over time considering the ones that have died in the meantime and it's just amazing so here you can see a big tip up these are famous because for a long time people thought that tropical trees all had very shallow roots and most of them do but we've also found that some tropical trees have tap roots and do get down to water that's more permanent there's a leaf cutter it's a leaf cutter ant moving a leaf there's a there's one little branch about a thumb's width yeah, across yeah, there. See, see, there right he is. Now. Yeah, there is around the edge of the yeah. leaf. On the on the other side of the leaf now he's going down the that way. Oh, no. we, we should we should see some usually we see a lot, but I think it must have been rainy enough today this morning that they've they're not working. Um, there's one of those vines. Oh uh, yeah. That's Bauhinia. Oh wow. They also talk about monkey That's ladders cool. and things like that. Yeah, so sometimes people do like trapping in order to put um, radio collars on the animals. And then there's some other traps that are more permanent that are used every year to look at how animal populations change. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hear a collar monkey. That was an authentic, scary jungle sound. So this tower is actually um, one of about eight towers that are catching radio signals. So researchers catch their animal, they put on a radio collar or tag, mm -hmm. and then um, the towers record the signals. Well, the signals are all beamed back to the internet basically and then there's a triangulation so that then you can guess more or less where the animal is based on the signal strength. Every animal is on the island at all times and what, what it's doing they can measure heart rate and they can even put a microphone on the animal so they can hear it munching or interacting yeah. but some people were joking that you know it's so that people know yeah. if their graduate students are working <laughs> or if they're staying in the dorm all day that's what the collars are really for <laughs> but they can put transmitters on bees uh -huh. and seeds wow. i mean the transmitters get pretty small they don't always work well so a lot of people um, the researchers can be a little bit defensive too when people say, oh, you just sit in your lab and watch your animals on the internet. You don't have to go out in the field. But actually, most of what they've been doing here is testing these systems. So they do a lot of running around and hand tracking to see whether the animals are really where the system says they are. So that they can make fun of the next generation of researchers right. who really can just sit in their labs. Right. <laughs> oh, it was based on a system that was set up called Where's My Bus? in which buses had transmitters and uh -huh. um, they beamed the radio signal back to the uh, station and then you could see if you're, you could look on the internet and see if your bus is going to arrive at the stop near your house. Well, apparently it's pretty common technology now in cities that like um, courier services have transmitters on their fleet so that they know where their messengers are. Uh -huh. 
Australia is a great place to work just because there are so many projects going on all the time. It's fascinating. Do you know it's a little bit overwhelming. Approximately how many discrete research projects are going on? Well, we have 35 permanent staff scientists, and we have, uh, last year we had about 1,200 visiting scientists. Wow. So some of those are student groups that might be 10 people at a time or something, but mm -hmm. it, there are also ongoing projects that maybe the researchers don't come every year. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it would be hard to guess, but it's probably thousand in the thousands somehow. It's time to play Totally Bogus. Here are four science stories. Only three are true. See if you know which story is Totally Bogus. Story one, Rhode Island's legislature has issued a formal declaration demanding that floating chunks of Antarctic ice stop being referred to as, quote, the size of Rhode Island, end quote. Story two, Nokia is working on a way to wirelessly charge cell phones via ambient radio waves. Story three, the factor that limits the weight of flying birds is how fast they can molt their flight feathers. And story four, road crews working on construction for the 2012 Olympics uncovered a site with dozens of severed skulls dating back to the Roman occupation of Britain. Time's up. Story four is true. Archaeologists are trying to figure out just whose skulls were unearthed in the road-building effort, Early theories include them being the remains of native Britons defending against an invasion almost 2,000 years ago. Story three is true. The feather molt turnover time is what apparently limits the overall size of a bird. That research appeared in the journal Public Library of Science Biology. Big birds' feathers grow too slowly for them to molt fast enough to avoid long periods of flightlessness. For more, check out the June 17th episode of the Daily Siam podcast, 60-Second Science. And story two is true. Tech Review reports that Nokia is working on using ambient radio waves, which we're bathed in, to charge up your cell phone. They're also looking at embedding solar cells in devices. All of which means that story one about Rhode Island trying to get people to stop calling large ice shelves the size of Rhode Island is totally bogus. But what is true is that the Rhode Island legislature just made it the first state to expand existing medical marijuana policy to allow for state-licensed distribution centers. The governor had vetoed the bill, but the Senate overrode the veto 35 to 3, the House 68 to nothing. So it was a big joint effort. Well, that's it for this edition of Scientific American Science Talk. Check out scientificamerican.com for the latest science news and our photo feature called Don't Lick That Toad. For Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us.